0: Hey what's going on automotive world welcome to another episode of the automotive diagnostic podcast my name is Sean tipping and I'll be the host for today's episode joining me on the show this week is Ivan Temnek Ivan runs a YouTube channel which I'm sure many of you are familiar with Pine Hollow auto diagnostics where he's got almost 800 videos of him doing mobile diagnostics out on the East Coast on a wide range of things, uh, even beyond the automotive world. And um, he's going to sit down with me today. Uh, we'll talk about his channel, what he does, mobile diagnostic work, talk scopes, scan tools, intermittent problems, and mentors in the automotive field. So a uh, really, really great talk. I've always enjoyed Ivan's videos, so it's cool to get to sit down and talk with him. But with that out of the way, let's jump right in. I was contemplating doing videos for YouTube and stuff. You know, I tried that a few years ago. Oh, okay. It was terrible. <laughs> so much work or so much more work to edit a video. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which I'm sure, you know, you do plenty of this uh, for your YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, do you run a shop yourself or?
0: Uh, no, I teach for a local Community College for the automotive program. Uh, that's my job until about two o'clock in the afternoon, and then I go and I do some uh, mobile diagnostics and programming in the mm. area between my home and there. And you know, I do that okay. just to, I mean, stay sharp, stay up on things, yeah, uh, stay busy, and uh, it definitely does that for sure.
1: Exactly. So that's where your content for your courses comes from—is your case studies.
0: A lot of it, yeah, you know, I can relate what I'm doing and seeing out in the mm-hmm. field to the classroom and say, hey, this is what technicians are struggling with out in the field. You know, this is what professional shops are getting hung up yeah. on. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility to solve some of these problems. I mean, a lot of them end up being basic electrical problems. And so it's definitely helped out a lot. Um mm-hmm. I just found when I stopped being a full time technician, because I was a tech at Firestone for almost 10 years. And I just felt like when I stopped doing that every day, that I was like, wow, I'm going to fall behind, you know, really quickly within three to four years. The stuff I'm teaching is not going to be relevant. So I wanted something that would keep me in it.
1: It, that's what I've seen technology is going you know so fast that it, you just learn new stuff every day even though you might be in the field every day it's it's pretty cool
0: yeah and sometimes all the book stuff the technical stuff doesn't work the way that you would expect it to or think it would out in the field
1: yeah Nothing beats experience <laughs> getting your ass kicked that's for sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hey, that's one of the great things too to share with the students is hey, here's some of my failures.
1: Oh, that that's the those are the biggest learning opportunities.
0: Well, I think it helps you to, you know, connect with the students a little bit better. It makes you more human, right? You know, when you kind of show hey, I'm not perfect. I screw up. I do dumb stuff. (laughs) Um, It uh, just makes you more relatable and engages better with the students.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
0: So you've got a YouTube channel and I encourage everybody listening to check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes, Pine Hollow Auto Diagnostics. Um, How long have you been running that channel for?
1: Uh, I started it in 2015, so this will be the seventh year, I guess. Time flies. <laughs> right. It was just yesterday.
0: Uh, what actually got you going with the YouTube channel in the first place?
1: Uh, well, I guess um, before I got into the, you know, this field, I guess uh, I was just on YouTube looking at automotive stuff and you know what's out there like you know eric the car guy if you remember his channel was popular and then he had scanner danner on his one of his uh videos i'm like oh well this is an interesting way of going about it you know this guy doesn't just look at spark plugs he actually uses an oscilloscope and (laughs) i've always been you know electricity magnetism circuits that was one of my favorite subjects i'm like well huh that's cool you know, you can actually fix cars using stuff that most other shops don't even know what it is and uh, use, like, the scientific method. So, uh, you know, that that's really neat. And then, uh, you know, Eric O. at South Main Auto, he was only an hour from, uh, from my parents' house up in uh, upstate New York there. So on one trip, I just uh, stopped by. I was actually riding my motorcycle and just – just said, like, yo, Eric, man, I watch your videos. He was just starting out, too. And, uh, yeah, we hit it right off. I'm like, hey, do you have any cars that are, you know, (laughs) giving you a hard time? And, uh, uh, yeah, he had that Hyundai with the the twisted camshaft. I don't know if you've seen that video on his channel, the, the very first one. Uh, that we did together. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. You know, I'll, I'll just start putting videos at my, you know, start up my own channel and go from there, see how it goes. And it's it's been a really, really fun journey.
0: Well, I've uh, definitely enjoyed a lot of your videos. I, I looked before we did this, you've got almost 800 videos on there right now.
1: It, it's insane. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that that was a lot of time uh, spent on just putting together videos, but I I just love to share, you know, real world experiences Uh, that that this is like real world problem solving. It's really my my passion and uh, it's really cool to connect with the community. And, you know, I learned a lot from just reading comments on on my own videos. (laughs) So.
0: Oh, Yeah. And I mean, just in the short time that I've been doing this podcast, it's been so cool to get to connect with different people, I mean, all over the world, like I've talked to people from Australia and the UK, right? and it's really cool to get to connect and grow somewhat of a community.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: So I'm just curious, you know, because I tried doing the video thing and realized it was way too much work, but... If you have, let's say, like a 40 minute video that you're making, what's the prep time behind the scenes in order to make a video just that length? Because obviously it's more than 40 minutes.
1: Uh, It really depends. I try to film just like the interesting parts so I have less editing to do. (laughs) (laughs) because when you start cutting stuff out and you have to watch it yourself one or two times it kind of gets time consuming so you kind of get more efficient at just the filming raw footage and that way you just stitch it together and it's basically done uh but it depends on the case study you know if it's like a two-part series with the diag and then the repair later um I, i try to break it up you know, tw- 20 minutes seems to be a good, you know, attention span uh, for most people. Uh, it, it goes to half an hour, you know, that, that happens sometimes, but that's uh, it's just kind of adapt to just keep modifying until you get to that efficient, steady, <laughs> steady state.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. I suppose you do it enough and you get more proficient at it as time goes on.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah like with anything.
0: Um, What was your background as far as how you got into the automotive field uh, before you started to go out and do this stuff mobile?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, I was just looking back, I guess I was always obsessed with anything on wheels, you know, from bicycles and it was motorcycles and then cars, obviously. Um, And it was always a hobby. Um, But really taking it to the more I guess the professional level was back in two thousand twelve I was still in in grad school here at uh Penn state and state college and uh just for fun, I was working on the side at my buddy's automotive shop just doing you know anything anything in the bay brakes oil changes suspension some diag stuff and uh I enjoyed that so much. I ended up spending more time there and showing up to the lab less. <laughs> and then my advisor's like, "Dude, I don't think you're cut out for grad school." I'm like, "Yeah, I agree." <laughs> so, so, so then I worked at his shop full time for about a year, and uh, then uh, just started my own thing because there was enough demand for more, you know, specialized uh, diagnostic stuff. And now, now he calls me up if he's stuck on a car, so that kind of works out.
0: Well, hey, yeah, I mean, that's impressive, you Mm -hmm. know, to just jump into this field just by, okay, hey, I'm working at a shop here and now I'm going to start going out and doing this really (laughs) complex stuff. Um, But that's the thing, you know, I've always enjoyed your your mindset or your take on this field and more because you're not afraid to take on anything, right? Like, I know on your channel, like, you're not going to say no to very much,
1: Right. right? I've only turned down a handful of jobs and that was probably like a BMW, you know, engine swap or something like, Nope. (laughs) But diagnostic stuff, I I wouldn't turn anything away.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you've got a whole playlist of things that are not cars, tractors and construction equipment. And most people would probably just be like, no, dude, I work on cars.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's all those experiences, uh, have been very valuable. They, it, they just make you more well-rounded. You know, anything from the old stuff with points and carburetors to construction equipment, tractors, you know, it, it's all related. There's a lot of similarities and the approach stays the same, but you get to learn more systems and that actually makes you, you know, better with uh, just being more open-minded in terms of going into, you know, any problem-solving situation.
0: Yeah, I mean... Do you think it's worthwhile to go through that struggle, especially when you're learning something for the first time, maybe on the fly, but you're like, okay, I got to do this because it's almost going to be like an investment uh, for the future that can gain that knowledge.
1: Yep. 110% agree with that. Yep. You you have to suffer through some stuff. If you don't know the system, take a time out, do your research uh, like my f- good friend Keith DeFazio uh, at New Level Auto, that, that's what he always preaches. Just you know, grab a laptop and a notebook and just read up on the description and operation if you're not familiar with how the system works, and it it pays huge dividends. Yep.
0: Well, and to you know at least attempt to figure out how something works when you don't have a description and operation because sometimes that happens. Yeah. But to Figure it out and get creative to get to a solution.
1: It, it, basically, a wiring diagram is more, I'd say, more valuable than anything written in words. That's what I've learned, and you know, just if if I have a wiring diagram, there, you know, I have a good chance of figuring it out. If I don't, then it's going to take exponentially longer, and you know, <laughs> we'll still get there hopefully. But yeah.
0: Well, hey, that's a skill set all into itself is being able to look at a wiring diagram and figure out how that system or component works just by how they have it wired up, you know? Okay, they've got a power going here, ground going here, it's got to work this way. And I've worked with my students to try to do that. Like, let's see if we can figure this out just by looking at the diagram. And it's not always possible, but it's kind of like a superpower if you can manage it.
1: Absolutely. And like, I'd say at least half the diags you can almost pinpoint just by having a wiring diagram and the symptoms and then just kind of playing scenarios through your head and like, okay, so this is the symptom. So what happens if, you know, there's voltage here, would that affect this? Uh, and even, you know, obviously you want to see the car yourself, but when you get it, then you're like, okay, this is my game plan. I'm going right for, you know, these checks. And oftentimes you, you nail it right away. Um, So, yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, so one thing I've seen you do in your videos is particularly when maybe you're chasing an intermittent fault and, you know, it's difficult to get it to act up is that you've introduced a fault into the system or uh, let's say removed Mm -hmm. a power source or pulled a fuse from a module in attempts to duplicate what happens when the fault is present to try to prove something out, right. To say, okay, if I pull this fuse, does it give me the same symptoms as when the actual fault is present? And it's a pretty cool mindset to take is especially for intermittent stuff. And I mean, honestly, when I was a tech at Firestone, I don't think I ever really would have thought to do something like that. I'm just waiting for Mm -hmm. it to happen. But, we can introduce some stuff stuff and see, does the same thing happen? Okay. And if it doesn't, well, maybe it's not that fuse. It's not this power source that wouldn't make the module do that.
1: Right. Or sometimes it doesn't do what you expect and that, that makes it more fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's I think you can call it the, either the bypass test or, you know, like you said, try to recreate it. it on intermittent problems. That's, Oftentimes what can save, you know, can save the the whole process is, okay, you know, we can recreate it manually by doing this. Now, why is it happening in its natural environment when you're driving? So at least you have some idea what to look for.
0: What's your approach to intermittence? I mean, what's the point where you just say no?
1: (laughs) If it happens once a year, (laughs) no. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, yeah, like I get quite a few phone calls from people out of state who want me to look at something. Like, you know, they'll either bring their car here or want me to schedule a trip. And if it's an intermittent problem, right off the bat, I ask them, okay, how often does it happen? Every day, once a week, once a month, once a year. And that, you know, I'm like, sometimes you just have to wait for it to get worse. You know, like those questions are very key. Maybe it happens after a rainstorm. Like, okay, now we're looking at water intrusion or something getting uh, getting wet.
0: Yeah, for me recently, I've just been turning down most intermittents. If, for my schedule, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, because I'm limited in the afternoon and I'm trying to hit up maybe two or three appointments you know, and you don't know what you're getting into for an intermittent. And I just tell shops, Hey, if we can't duplicate this or get it to happen within a half hour, I'm not your guy, at least right now, wait until it's more frequent and I'll see if I can help, but it just doesn't make any sense for me because you could be there. I've been there in the past where you're sitting there waiting, you know, just driving the vehicle around for an hour, hoping that you have your well, hoping you have a scope and then hoping you have it connected to the right, right. components when it actually does act up. And it's such a time killer.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. It's stuff like that. You know, sometimes the car shows up and it's like it fixes itself. I've had that a few times. <laughs> I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? I can keep it for a week and just drive it around once in a while and see if it happens. Um, but, yeah, you can't, you can't really nail them all if, if the car doesn't act up for you.
0: Yeah, I remember doing that. You know, as a younger technician, is uh, working at a mom and pop shop. We'd have an intermittent, and we talk to the customer and just say, "Hey, do you want me to take this vehicle and drive it around as my own after yeah. hours? You know, when I'm going home and stuff, with your permission, of course. And we'll hook up our stuff and try to catch this to do it. And yeah, you'd you'd end up having the car for two, three days. And I have no idea if we even charged appropriately for that. I really wasn't in charge of that where I was working there. But, man, it can really, really kill some time. And it's tough to charge for that time on an intermittent job.
1: Yeah. And in this field, keeping a regular schedule is impossible.
0: (laughs) No kidding, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, when you're scheduling appointments, I'm like, well, it'll maybe Friday afternoon. Just give me a call then. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've gotten to that point, Mm -hmm. too, where I just tell people I'll be there in the afternoon or, you know, I can guarantee one appointment and that's my first one of the day.
1: Exactly. And that's
0: pretty much it. After that, I mean, you don't know how these jobs are going to go. It could be a five Mm -hmm. minute job. It could be a one hour job. And a lot of times you don't know going into it.
1: Yeah, yeah, some, sometimes you think something's going to be quick and it really turns into a, you know, a, ball or a can of worms or whatever.
0: Yes. Yes, 100%.
1: <laughs> like, oh, you didn't tell me that it was doing this or, you know, has a big draw or, you know, whatever. They just said that, you know, <laughs> the ABS light's coming on. Like, oh, that's it, really? Not the other 20 lights on the dashboard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember as a tech you know, getting a vehicle in with a noise complaint, and you go out and drive this vehicle, and you'd hear the front wheel bearing just screaming like an airplane yeah. as you're driving down the road. And, like, okay, well, that must be the noise that was on the ticket because it said noise. So you right. sell them a wheel bearing, you put it in there, they come pick it up, and then it's a comeback because. They were after a little squeak in the front end over bumps. And they're like, well, how did you even hear that over the wheel bearing? But you really do have to question the actual driver of the vehicle, the owner of the vehicle, if you want to get the best information.
1: Yes, I agree with that 100% too. Yeah, just get
0: as much information from them as possible or go drive it with them, especially if it's intermittent, to be like, what are you doing to get this to act right. up?
1: And I'm in a college town here, so often there's a language barrier, too. Oh. Yeah. When when they say it's it's shaking, like <laughs> there's a shaking when it shifts or when you're cruising or, you know, there's a misfire, but it's only at idle. Yeah, so it's kind of a – but it, you work through it. But you have to talk to the customer directly. You can't go through like a service advisor or somebody like that. Just, that wouldn't work.
0: Yeah, I struggled with that in the field, just missing information because there's that barrier between you and the customer or the service writer. And even if they, they're good at what they're doing, they don't always pick up on those little things that mm-hmm. you'll pick up on as a technician. So there was plenty of times when I just needed the the direct answer. So I'd call up the customer and talk to him on the phone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. The, when I started working at my buddy's shop, I was supposed to be the technician, and I, I love talking to the customers, and I kind of got yelled at that. Like, you just do the work there. You're not supposed to be talking to the customers. And I'm like, well, it's their car. It's like I'm fixing their problem. So, yeah, that's why I like working for myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, and um, you deal one-on-one with both individuals and shops right now, right?
1: Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And are those people that have found your YouTube channel or are they local people?
1: Again, mixed bag. <laughs> Just, yeah. From, from neighbors to out of state people to, you know, like an hour away, um, some shops in town. Then if I go like on a longer trip, it kind of works out that people will schedule stuff, you know, on the way. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a really good variety.
0: Um, you mentioned Keith DeFazio earlier, um, super smart guy, another really good YouTube mm-hmm. channel. I know everybody's hoping that he makes more videos, but you connected with him and did some videos mm-hmm. in Staten Island with him. How did you end up getting uh, connected with Keith?
1: Yeah, the Staten Island Express. <laughs> yeah, Keith just found me through YouTube. He, he is like. The- one of the coolest networking, uh, people out there that I know in terms of, you know, the automotive field, he will, you know, go through YouTube, like find channels that he kind of likes and kind of, uh, you know, subscribe to them or put them on his watch list. And he just contacted me, I think it was 2016, about a year, you know, after I started my channel and he was just like, dude, you got to come down to New York city. I was, it'll be worth your while. You got to see what I'm doing here. And you know, at first I was like, well, I don't know who this guy is, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, it was, it was really, really amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, some of those cars and case studies there on St- Staten Island are pretty crazy.
1: Oh yeah. Totally different ballgame. I've never seen anything like it. That Island is just if in doubt it's probably the PCM like how often does a computer fail (laughs) apparently all the time (laughs) I don't know what what it is Mm -hmm. but yeah that was huge huge learning experience that really jump-started you know my own work here just having Keith as a mentor and him letting me go out on my own getting my ass kicked and learning from that Uh, I couldn't you know, it couldn't go to any school to learn that it was, it was real world struggle. <laughs> and then having someone to discuss it with, or, you know, if all else fails, he would show up after he did 15 cars. I was still working on my second one. And, uh, you know, like, Hey, did you check the pink wire yet? I'm like, Keith, how did you know it was the pink wire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was really awesome.
0: Do you think it's, Worthwhile for a younger person to seek out a mentor in their chosen profession.
1: Oh, yeah. If you can find someone like that, take full advantage of it. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Finding somebody who can help, you know, set you up for success and guide you in the direction that you need to go help figure out what's right for you. And that might be throwing you to the wolves, right? <laughs> it's difficult, but you're going to learn a whole lot and, yeah, and not it, everybody can handle it.
1: You'll figure out very fast. If you want to stick with the field, you know, it, it might at first you're like, Oh yeah, you know, this is going to be great and I can totally do this. And you can, but no matter how much, you know, the courses you've taken and you know, if you have all the tools, you're just starting out. So it, the you know that first whatever year or two that's going to be <laughs> the the learning opportunities and you, you'll figure out very quickly if if you want to stick with it it's 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 not it's not an easy field to be in but you have to be passionate about it and it, it is very satisfying once you know once you get up and going
0: yeah it's definitely not for everybody uh, it comes with a lot of challenges but that's honestly a big part of. What I enjoy mm-hmm. about it is it's not the same thing every day. It's not monotonous. You never know exactly what's going to be headed your way. And I've really come to enjoy that.
1: Oh, yeah. You, you kind of get a hunger for it. OK, like <laughs> I remember Keith saying that about 90% of the stuff he's come across, he's already seen. So that's kind of just mundane stuff. But when you got that, you know, one case study a week, that was really something new. He got really excited about it. For me, it was all new at that point. So, uh, you
0: know. <laughs> Yeah, I was talking to another mobile technician in Ohio, Brian Mann, and he was saying, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, 10 plus years. And, and so many of these modules are done over and over again and the programming side of it. And he's <laughs> like, sometimes when I hit that button to program, I'm kind of just waiting for something to go wrong. Like, come on, come on. I want something interesting today.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't do that much programming. I do mostly diagnostics, like the harder case studies. Um, you know, around here, we don't have that many shops and they really don't, I guess, I don't know. If you're on Staten Island, you're doing programming like half the day, like Keith was. But for me, it would be just a lot of overhead to have all the subscriptions and all the OEM, you know, throughs and tools and stuff. So if something really needs to be... Replace or programmed it, you know, if I can't do it, then yeah, it'll be cheaper for them to actually take it to the dealer and just say, just program this module versus, you know, me buying subscriptions and all that stuff. But
0: Well, yeah, that's the thing is it's smart to kind of figure out where you want to be successful in, because there's so many different avenues that you can go in this field. There's so many different worlds that you can expand into you know, diagnostics is one programming, but then you can expand to keys and expand to ADOS. And uh, there's so many more different directions that you can go. And it's really impressive. The guys that do all of it, like, you know, Keith Perkins, for instance, he's got all those things going on. And I don't know how they keep up and and be the best at everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you're in a big metro area and you have enough demand for all those things, then you know, by all means. So it really depends on your market.
0: Yeah. It's almost like you have to be a specialist in each one of these areas. I mean, if you want to do it mobile, if you want to go to shops and say, I am the professional offering this professional service. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there, there's guys out there figuring it out. Um, and you see, you know, other U- YouTube channels and people on Facebook. And honestly, that's really inspiring to me is it's what, inspired mm-hmm. me to attempt the mobile thing and try it for myself. Cause I'm looking at, you know, like for instance, Keith's channel and okay. I'm like, wow, this is impressive. Like here's this five minute video of figuring out this problem that would have taken most guys an hour plus. And they're just, they're out there being successful at this. So I'm going to do my best to, <laughs> to mimic it. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously I'm not keeping up with, uh, keith's 20 cars a day that he was doing up there but uh doing what i can
1: yeah exactly Uh, yeah i mean my workflow is generally if it's interesting i'll get the camera out so that eats up a little bit bit of time and then but the thought process is more you know more detailed then so since i'm you know talking about it basically and that's you know if i've if I was on Staten Island, I probably wouldn't have time to do that and I would do more cars, but I don't know if it'd be as satisfying to you know, really dig deep and find like the actual actual root cause and do the little experiments or whatever to
0: Well, notice pull, too pull. that you'll take the components apart that are broken and see hey, maybe we can fix it.
1: I mean nothing to lose there, right?
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Might as well see what's inside the magic box.
0: Well, yeah, I think it's worthwhile, you know, spend a little bit of time there because it can help you understand that component better for the next time Mm -hmm. that you have to deal with it. You'll know exactly what's inside of that component. Where is this level lever or what component is inside this other component or whatever it might be, but it will boost your knowledge for the next time. So it's worth spending the time there. When potentially you could be moving on to another one already.
1: Right. If if you take something apart, you'll probably learn something new. And, you know, that's part of, I I think that's the number one reason I'm in this field is because you just learn something new every day and it just keeps it interesting.
0: Right. Uh, Do you know Corey Brugerman, I think is his last name uh, up there in New York that took over for Keith?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We've done a, a couple together when Keith was still there. Yeah. I met Corey. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: he's a cool guy. You get to hear from him uh, from time to time and yeah. see what he's up to.
1: He's another one of those New York City people who just doesn't sleep. Right. I mean, the guy works like two or three jobs. You know, he's- yeah, he
0: does the uh, the mobile thing and he does the bus transit thing, and he'll sleep there and then go to his mobile job. And I'm like, how how do you even keep up with that? I wouldn't last a month doing that.
1: I, I could barely make it two or three days trying to stay with Keith, you know, he was like, Oh yeah. Oh, you know, you can join me after I spent two hours at this body shop doing programming, you know, at 6am and I would join him at eight. I'm like, dude, <laughs> he was up writing invoices till like 4am the previous day. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> so it's not, that's definitely not for everyone.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Um, What do you do or do you, do additional training outside of what you're learning in the field and what would be your preferred method of training for the automotive world?
1: Well, before all the COVID stuff, uh, yeah, I tried to go to at least the, you know, trainings in Pennsylvania, like they're super Saturday and, um, our local you know parts store puts on, um, Oh, what is it? I think CarQuest, you know, they have the local training seminars here a couple times a year. Uh, other than that, yeah, not not too many uh, formal training seminars or anything. But it, like, I would maybe go visit Keith or something, do a couple of case studies with him, and just share share information. Um, just putting out case studies and sharing them on YouTube, that's, you know, you learn stuff there is well, obviously people, you know, with a certain car, they might be very, very experienced with that. And I'm just seeing it for the first time. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, that happens. And that's because of this common failure. I'm like, okay, well I'll keep that, <laughs> you know, in the back of the, back of the head to for the next time.
0: Um, Do you keep any records Uh, to go along with your diagnostics and repairs? I mean, obviously you have your YouTube channel, so that's probably the best thing is to refer to, but do you keep anything within a file or written down, uh, you know, known goods or just notes to yourself or things you notice like this module does this in this situation on this car?
1: Uh, I mean, I always take notes on everything, even if it's just an oil change here. I'll just, you know, you always write down the vehicle, the mileage and date and what you did. And um, in terms of interesting case studies, yeah, the, the YouTube library is basically <laughs> an awesome database. I have referred to my older videos. I'm like, oh man, I swear I've seen this before. <laughs> like, oh, there it is. Let me just watch my video and the process. <laughs> oh, that works pretty well. Uh, in terms of waveforms, like Pico, you know, on the Pico scope, I always save waveforms and just categorize it by, you know, make and model. Um, so pretty decent library there. I also, if it's in a video, I'll put it, like, on my Google Drive and share that just in case other people want to grab the waveforms. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but...
0: Yeah, it's just been something I've been doing uh, for the last few years is I keep a Google Docs, um, and and I'll make a new document for each vehicle, and I'll just jot stuff down that I noticed or found out while I was working on something, like this car acts this way if it loses a ground here. This module does this if it loses a power feed here, or if this sensor is bad, this is the result. And it just sort of is a nice thing to refer to down okay. the line when maybe I come up against the same problem, but it's been a couple of years and I don't exactly remember all the details. I can pull it up right there and refer to it um, and hopefully help myself because uh, there's just, there's too much to know. And I feel like uh, every one thing that I learned, something else, you know, everything that goes in my brain, something else falls out the other side and I'm not in charge of what I know. something I know. is.
1: Yes. Yeah, some people can, fit a lot more into their head than, than others. I always take just pen and paper. For me, that's the best way to kind of remember stuff. And yeah, I've, I have like, I go through at least one of these, you know, one subject notebooks, probably in less than a year. So yeah, that, there's a whole library of those now.
0: Yeah, I got one of those right here.
1: Yeah. You always take notes in the field?
0: Yeah, when I'm in the field, I usually use my phone, uh, but I really do like writing stuff down. I think it helps stick in your head a little bit better. Like if I got a list of all the things that I need to do, um, or like for this interview, just jotted down some notes. And there's something about you know an actual pen or pencil in your hand, it connects better with your brain. At least for me, it may not be the same mm-hmm. uh, for everybody.
1: Right? Yes, yeah, especially for those case studies that kind of get deep <laughs> and you have a lot of stuff to keep track of, like, you know, you're doing voltage drops or f- fuses in, in a, you know, like hundred fuses in a fuse box. Okay. Which ones are have current on them. You just have to write stuff down. because There's no way you can remember that and move on to the next step.
0: Right. Exactly. Do you have a favorite scan tool right now of uh, what you've, what you're using or, or do you have maybe a first grab uh, the thing that you would uh, grab if you didn't know <laughs> what kind of diagnosis that you're getting into?
1: If it's newer than like 2008, the uh, the ThinkTool Pro S with the launch software on it, that I've been using that for the last year at least. And with with the modern cars, with networks, with all the modules, the first thing I do, is just plug it in, health report. Scan everything, get all the codes, save that, and then you can either, you know, re- Reboot the whole thing, you know, clear all DTCs and you can see the modules on, uh, you know, it has like topology, the map it's super helpful. You know, these cars have more than one network usually nowadays. And you can see, you know, what what's what and just kind of get a get a feel for what the car, uh, the topology of of all the modules before you dive in.
0: Have you found that to be pretty accurate as far as how it breaks the different networks down, meaning like if there's a CAN bus and then there's a LIN bus and then there's like a body CAN bus and it breaks it into those separate sections. Have you found that to be accurate?
1: Yeah, I've actually been really impressed with that topology. It's usually spot on.
0: Yeah, I've got a Topped On, which I'm pretty sure is similar. I think that's based off the launch software too, but... I've definitely been impressed with it. Um, the uh, The graphing I really like on it. Uh, you know, I've always used an Autel for a long time, and graphing on Autel was never really that great. And I don't have a Snap on, so if I'm graphing some data for drivability or whatever, I'm definitely grabbing that topped on. It's
1: so, so you just hit the graph button and it puts up up to twelve graphs on the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like that. I mean. Because I think, i you can only do four, uh, but you get 12 of them up there with that thing.
1: Yeah. When it comes to recording, recording that data, though, that's a pain in the butt. <laughs> you, you get the live, you know, the live graphs. What I usually do, I just hit the snapshot button if I see something interesting. Just take a picture of the screen. Um, you know, I, I used to, my go-to before, I mean, a few years ago, was the Snap-on Veris. Um, but I only had that updated to 2017. Um, but in terms of data, saving the scan data and then reviewing it, nothing beats the snap-on.
0: Yeah, I've heard other guys say that as well. Uh, you know, they they definitely all have their strengths and weaknesses.
1: Right. right.
0: Um, do you have an all-time favorite scan tool? You know, and, and maybe it's not relevant now or it's not the best tool ever, but it was just, you know, a game changer for you. One that really made a difference for you as a tool.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, chronologically, um, I guess let's see what did I buy first? The Autel DS seven Oh eight. That was my first kind of real OEM level as Scotty Kilmer says you know, OEM level scan tool. <laughs>
0: <Sure>. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, you can really get into more than just OBD2. Right. So that was, what, almost 10 years ago. And then I bought a used Snap-on Verus uh, from the Snap-on guy, like a you know trade-in for a grand. And that was my first, like, big screen kind of um, scanner. But that was that still had the keys in it, you know, with the cord. And then the next game changer was the, the newer Verus Pro Wireless. Like, all right, now we're talking, you know, you can get out, you can be under the car checking the EVAP vent solenoid. we have the scanner right there, <laughs> which is really cool. And uh, yeah, after that was the, you know, the launch stuff and the, the think tool pros is, is the, the current latest and greatest that I've really don't use the snap on anymore that much, except for on older, you know, GM trucks and stuff.
0: Yeah. I had one of those DS 708s too. And that was, that was a big game changer for me. 'Cause I'd been using an OTC Pegasus prior to that, and I finally got this autel, and I was mm. I was blown away by yeah. how much more I could do with it and how many more modules I can access and special functions. It was huge.
1: Right. It, it, and now now it seems like a dinosaur, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. But uh-huh. It was just such a difference compared to what I had before. And I could take on more jobs and not have to be scared of that BMW. Like it, it will actually connect and read codes from these modules. So I have a chance at fixing this thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you can't talk to the car, then you know, you're already handicapped.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've um, i I've been really impressed with some of these new tools like the launch and stu- Autel and stuff like that, that they just have such a wide coverage i mean they all have their holes they all do mm-hmm. but just the amount that a single tool can cover now
1: yeah the coverage yeah i mean you could do like chinese cars if you wanted to or exotics
0: <laughs> yeah you got this huge list of all of these chinese makes that i have never even heard of but uh, i guess i'm prepared if one of them shows up one day
1: yeah yeah no yeah my I wish there was a better scanner for old Europeans, like pre-OBD2. I run into those once in a while, and I'm just like, ah, I I can't talk to, like, the sunroof module on a 94 BMW. Like, what tool could do that? I don't even know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard other people say that the old-school blue box auto logic was the answer to a lot of that, but I, I don't know myself.
1: Yeah. Well, only only Keith only Keith, <laughs> Keith is the only guy who I know who has one <laughs>
0: Yeah that, He's got that's though. the thing about doing this uh is mm-hmm. there's so there's so much to buy too it's almost endless like every time i turn around i'm like oh man i could use that or i want this new tool
1: Yeah um but also once you reach a certain threshold like i haven't bought that much stuff over the last you know couple of years actually you know, once you have a decent scanner and it's up to date and you have a good scope and, you know, your test lights never get outdated. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, other than that, you know, hand tools, like you basically, you, you very rarely run into some tool that you really don't have any need. And then, okay, you buy it, but it's not like a constant monthly expense.
0: Yeah. And so I do a lot of the programming stuff and what I find is, oh, Hey, there's this tool that gets around the anti-theft process for this particular vehicle. So I don't have to purchase the subscription or, you know, have the factory tool and get around it some way. So yeah, yeah, that's worth it to spend the money on that for me.
1: (laughs) Right. So, So that's partially why I don't do so much of that for, you know, keys and module programming just because, Not being in a big metro area, that just wouldn't be cost-effective.
0: That totally makes sense.
1: When would you get your first scope?
0: Oh, boy. Um, You know, I couldn't even tell you what the model number was. One of the first shops I worked at, we had one from the Mac or the Matco guy. Some real basic, basic thing. It looked like an Etch-A-Sketch I was drawing on the screen. But... um, (laughs) That was the first one, and we had others at Firestone. But the problem was, right. like the problem, like most shops, I never really pulled them out to use them. I uh, would only pull them out when I was in trouble, and then I barely knew how to use it, and I didn't know what I was looking at anyway. So it was <laughs> barely any help at all.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to use it and be comfortable with it to actually make it work. You know, yeah. That's
0: my problem. And I, where I really got into it was when I bought a Pico, hmm. uh, you know, I bought my own two channel Pico and I'm like, Hey, okay, I'm going to figure this stuff out. I'm really going to get into it, hook up to known good cars and save files. Cause you could do that with a Pico. And, um, that's hmm. what really took off for me. And I've been using that and or a version of a Pico and, the U scope ever since. Um, I probably use the U scope more on a day-to-day basis right now. And then I'll use the Pico a lot more in class with okay. the students. Uh, it's easy to share stuff.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean I've I've seen the U scope. I know a few people who have it. I mean, it's little and cute, but one channel for me would just wouldn't cut it. So if if you're using a scope, you need at least two because you want to correlate some, you know, something with something else. So I'm just like, the, the Pico is my go-to uh, every day.
0: Yeah, it all depends on what you need it for. I mean, if yeah, if you're doing a cam crank.
1: Exactly. <laughs> right,
0: <laughs> yeah. the scope's out. That's going to be pretty useless for you. You got to have something to channel uh, like the Pico. Most of my network stuff I do with the Uscope because I just need mm. a visual representation of what's going on. And it covers most of my use there. But yeah, if you have any reason you need to compare two things, yeah. why not go with the Pico? And oh, right. I'll tell you what, having a laptop with a touchscreen doing for with the Pico, doing the pinch and zoom feature on that, that's lights. Oh, yeah. I love that feature of the touchscreen and the Pico combined together.
1: Yep. And also having a mouse with a scroll wheel, you can just zoom with that. Oh,
0: nice. That's what I love. Yeah, and I know mm-hmm. you know a lot of people out there like the Snap-on scope. I've never really used one, but I've heard that's pretty capable as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that, what I used mostly before I got the Pico was the Verus 4 channel. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll do the job, um, but once once you have a tablet and the Pico scope, it's just so much easier to analyze waveforms, save stuff, share it, um, yeah. It, so there's no, no comparison there.
0: Yeah. We use some for the students in class too. And I found, you know, once you explain the software and the buttonology, they're pretty user friendly. And the biggest reason is it helps them to visualize what's going on in the circuit. Right. Cause uh, you know, so many of them don't have a picture in their heads of what's going yep. on and the scope is, you know, doing that, drawing a picture for you to help you understand what's going on in mm-hmm. the circuit.
1: Right. Yeah. There's, there's kind of a misconception that using a scope is really advanced and only, you know, in very hard situations, but actually using a scope is kind of like cheating, you know, on a voltmeter you see one number on a scope, you see everything. So, and it's not that hard to learn to use. So once you get a, grasp of it, you'll just use it all the time. You can see really, really cool stuff. I mean, it's fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you can obviously go down the rabbit hole on stuff. That's possible. But you can catch things that you'd never be able to see otherwise. And you can learn yeah. things about how something works that you wouldn't know otherwise. You know, you'd know, you see, oh, the module's trying to do this at this point because yeah. of what you yeah. saw yeah. happening on the circuit.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. today I had an interesting one uh, 2016 Mazda CX-5 that again the complaint was like oh ABS light comes on when you're driving I'm like okay no big deal and it ended up escalating into hey the car stalls when you turn your high beams on <laughs> like <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I was there for longer than an hour <laughs> so, I'm like so okay I see a brand new alternator brand new battery uh, you know, the guy just replaced the ABS module cause the dealership told him to, and it, I'm like, okay, this is going to be really fun. Not just a boring ABS light where you lose your speed sensors or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the camera came out for that <laughs> for, for sure.
0: Nice. I'll uh, look forward to that one then. Um, did you get it resolved in one trip then?
1: Uh, didn't get it resolved and it supposedly needs some parts, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge. Uh, probably later this week.
0: Okay. Yeah. I always like to see the after, you know, or Oh yeah. I guess for me to, um, you know, sometimes I'll go to a shop and I'll make a diagnosis and I like to hear about it afterwards. Like, Oh yeah, this fixed it. Sometimes when I don't hear from a shop, you know, no news is, is good news, but um, yeah. sometimes I don't hear from them just like in the back of my head, like, huh? was that just the wrong call? And then they were just pissed and they just didn't call me. <laughs> so I like to have that conclusion on a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is it good news or bad news? And I, I do like to follow up in a few days. I'm like, Hey, did you guys get that whatever fixed? And <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, I'll usually do that when I get back to the shop for another reason, when they call me and they're like, Hey, how did that, whatever turn out, blah, blah, blah. Just so I can wrap it up.
1: It's nice to get a resolution for sure.
0: Um, if you were to give some advice to a younger technician or a technician coming up in this field, um, what do you think that might be? And I realize that's kind of a general question.
1: You mean diagnostic specific?
0: Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, and I suppose this is the automotive diagnostic podcast, so...
1: Right. Uh, I mean, it'll depend on the situation if you're working for a dealership or a small shop, or if you want to start your own business. Very, very different approaches, right? If you have your own business, you can't just be good at diagnostics. You also have to be decent at running a business, which all in itself can be, yeah, it can be harder than you know the actual car repairs. So, yeah, I mean, it's and any like general advice is definitely do it because you love it. And yeah, not, not just because, you know, it's not a nine to five job. (laughs) Usually. And it, you know, if, if it was a nine to five job, like working at a dealership, i probably would not enjoy as much, you know, it, 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 people are different. Like it, you, some people like being their own boss, and some people just like following orders. So it it really really depends on that. But regardless, you, you have to have that thirst for knowledge and be organized in terms of keeping your notes and thoughts and data. So you'll get more efficient, you know, with experience.
0: Yeah, you know, some people just want that nine to five job that they can clock out and be done with and not have to think about until they're at work again. But I think if you're going to strive to be one of the best in this field, you should definitely have that passion. It should be one of those things where you're always thinking about it. Even when you're at home, uh, you know, you're experimenting, you're learning or you're training and, and not everybody has that. Never, not everyone wants that. And that's totally mm-hmm. fine. But I think it'd be good for a young person to figure that out at an early age.
1: Yeah, that's key. Right. Yeah, and that's where, where uh, when you said, you know, if you can find a mentor and tag along or, you know, just do like an internship or something, that that's a great way to get into it and basically see do I want to do this full time or not.
0: Okay, well, cool. Um, Hey, Ivan, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, Just one more time for everybody listening, uh, and I'll have this in the show notes. Check out Ivan's YouTube channel. It's uh, Pine Hollow Auto Diagnostics. But hey, thank you so much for joining me this evening.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, that that was a very enjoyable uh, conversation that I've never done a podcast before. That was kind of fun. (laughs)
0: Okay. That's going to do it for today's episode. I want to give Ivan another big thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Hopefully you did as well. Uh, Make sure to check out his YouTube channel. If you haven't already, there'll be a link in the show notes. I want to thank everybody out there for listening and the feedback for the podcast. Again, I appreciate hearing from everybody and you want to be on the show, reach out to me. We'll, we'll set something up. So, uh, with that all out of the way, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.